Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Lion's Guide podcast. If you've uh, joined us before, welcome back. If you are first time with us, hey, welcome to the Pride. Uh, this podcast is all about you know exploring success stories of our guests and uh, the lessons they've learned. And this may sound like a Barry Manilow tribute, but it's not. I'm out here battling with the trees as of the recording of uh, this episode and probably the next couple that you'll be dealing with. Welcome to allergy season. So uh, bear with me with the voice, but I want to get this out to you. So, hey, I'm Dale Walls, founder of Lions Guide. And on this episode, I've got the return of Mr. Craig Stanlin, who is a best-selling author of the book called Blank Canvas. He was also a guest earlier on in the podcast series. Uh, episode 22. He's also been a co-guest, I guess we'll call it, in episodes uh, where we discuss high, performance, high performer habits with uh, RJ Singh, the host of the Ultra Habits podcast. And, you know, uh, Craig and I want to circle up, you know, we've just been having some really powerful conversations just around growth and, and other perspectives and things that we've learned. So on this episode, uh, Craig and I do a deep dive and uh, get into some of the more transformational learnings we've gained over the last five years, you know, on our respective uh, growth journeys. Um, we talk about some key tactics that have served us daily, you know, as well as, you know, get raw about some, you know, negative impacts uh, that we've come to realize of materialism, consumerism, and, and some of these things that, uh, you know, Craig, I love what he calls it. He calls it the golden treadmill. So it's a it's a really awesome conversation. You know, I I love every opportunity I get to sit down with Craig and and chop it up like this. So uh, I'm excited to share it with you guys today. So uh, so check it out. Hang in there. Give us some reviews on what you think. Uh, I love hearing from you guys and the the insights you guys gain from listening to the podcast and the other stuff we're doing over here on lion's guide. So if you like the sound of that and you know you're either new here or you're looking for more. Please go out lionsguide.com, uh, join the free members community where you can you know at least sign up and find out all the things we're doing. You know, podcast is just one platform uh, where we chop it up like this, but we also do uh, do live streams with other guests who you know focus on teaching a lesson, teaching insights, teaching frameworks, and and so on. So uh, we stream those on some of the other platforms and and uh, save the recordings out into the the members area lionsguide.com. And you know the goal is to help you guys grow. You know give you these perspectives, insights, so you can uh, add them to your arsenal, learn, improve, grow. And uh, that's what we're all about. So uh, if you're enjoying it, please chime in, give us those five-star reviews. Let us know uh, what you're thinking and what you're getting out of this thing. And I appreciate you guys being here on the journey. This is uh, episode 51 and it's been awesome. You know, it's been an awesome year doing the podcast and the other things. So uh, really appreciate and honor you guys uh, coming out here. Uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we got gear out there, wear your courage on your sleeve. Um, you know, tons of uh, Lions Guy gear out there uh, that if you uh, enjoy what you're getting, and I would be proud to have you represent the mission that we're on to help people grow, you know, deal with life's challenges honorably, um, especially those of you out there in leadership roles, whether you're uh, starting a business or you own a business or you're a leader in a business or other organization, you know, that being a leader is a tough job. And that's really what drives me to get out here and put this stuff out there for you guys. Cause been there, done that still, still there and doing that in a lot of different ways still today. And I will for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, uh, 
that's that's it. That's why we got to keep getting better. So uh, that's why we're here talking about these things and sharing sharing our war stories and lessons learned and their experiences, uh, so we can all benefit from it. You know, it's a it's a uphill battle, but we can enjoy the journey, have joy in in our accomplishments and and and, and joy in growth, man. So hey, welcome or welcome back. And that all said, guys, let's start the show. everyone welcome back to another episode of lion sky podcast today i've got the great craig stanley now look craig you've been on a few times now and full disclosure like this was supposed to be episode another this was going to be high habits of high performers part three with rj um but rj being a successful podcast host himself and as good looking as he is making beautiful babies he's a busy man couldn't couldn't pull it off today so so Got Craig on here, but I told Craig, I said, I still want to get you on because I wanted to talk about a few things and follow up with what what he's got going on. But Craig Stanlin, welcome back, my friend, Podcast 22. Thank you so much for having me. Am I going to hold the record for number of appearances? Am I getting up there? Yeah, I think you're official like Lions Guide contributor at this point. So it's a uh, oh, it's beautiful, and I'm I'm for anybody who's listening. I'm actually rocking the Lions Guide hoodie as well. So I'm fully on board with with all of it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I love it. The uh, so yeah. Welcome back on. I mean, um, I guess for people who may be hearing of you first time, real quick intro: who you are, what you do. Sure. So I'm Craig Stanland. I live in Connecticut, and I'm a reinvention architect and mindset coach. And most people are probably wondering what the heck a reinvention architect is. I help people reinvent their lives. I help people connect with themselves on a deeper level so that they can find the meaning, fulfillment, and purpose that they want in their lives. And mostly, it seems to be in the second half of their lives, uh, seems to be my real client base. I am also a TEDx and keynote speaker. I'll be delivering a keynote next Tuesday. And I'm a best-selling author of the book, Blank Canvas, How I Reinvented My Life After Prison. Yeah, it's a great book. And, you know, I was talking to uh, Craig before he came on. Uh, so when Craig was on the podcast the first time, we were kind of like shotgun podcast. I was still new at it. Um, and we linked up on LinkedIn. Uh, and he came on and I heard your story first time then. But since I've, you know, you sent me a copy of the book, which I, I'm grateful for, because I really enjoyed reading it. It was like, uh, I don't know, I felt I feel like I was like texting you telling you like, like, that it was like, so it decided it was such a fun read, right? I've been I've been reading so many personal, professional, and leadership development books. Uh, you know, it's kind of I'm always kind of digging and geeking out there. But uh, your book, and I would say as well as uh, Mike Malatesta, who, who you introduced me to, like you two, your books were like great stories, you know. And uh, I really just loved your writing, you know, it just kept me into it. Like I didn't want to put the book down. I was just like, especially like knowing you for, for sure, you know, let alone, but like just the, the journey, right. It's, it's a wild ride. It's, it's, it's your memoir. It's a true story. It's, it's dramatic. It's, it's got a lot of pain and insights and lessons learned through it, but you're just, uh, I don't know, man, your, your authenticity of like how raw it was, right. Like it was just, you you poured it from the heart, man, I, and I could see that on the pages, you know. And I that's I think what I really enjoyed the book. It made it a great read. 
I appreciate that um, so much because that was one of my goals with the book. And since you read it, you, it from the epilogue, you know, the driving force behind writing that book was to help one person. That literally was the fuel to do that. And I thought, I kept thinking about when I was writing the book and I said, you know, how can I help this one person? And there's a Hemingway quote. I'm not going to get it 100% correctly, but it is, um, there's nothing to writing. You just cut yourself open and bleed. And I realized on my first draft that I didn't even cut the skin. You know, I was avoiding some of that, not some of, all of that rawness and that realness. And so I went a little deeper and then I went a little deeper. And eventually nine major drafts later, not to mention all the little revisions in between, I realized I got to the place where I could actually help that one person. I, my goal was to get to the truth and to do that in as raw and real and visceral as a way as I possibly could. And so it was a real, it was torture writing that book. You know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was, it involved me really cool. And we could go on down this rabbit hole if you want, but I learned how to put myself into a flow state because what I wanted to do was maximize my two hours of writing. And I realized I needed to access exactly how I felt when I was arrested by the FBI. When my wife, ex-wife was telling me that she was leaving me, I needed to feel all of that in real time so that I could have it come through my fingertips and onto the, onto the keys. And so it was wickedly painful, but unbelievably cathartic. Yeah. Well, and, and before we go further, for those of you guys listening, like this podcast is sponsored by Tree Pollen. So if you hear me like sneeze or sound like crap, like that's me. I perfectly human. One of my my Achilles here. Kryptonite is my kryptonite is tree pollen. I'm just there it is, you know. So I'm um, battling seasonal allergies. So uh, you know, I may need to mute and sneeze. Uh, uh, Craig Craig's gonna catch the worst of it when you're watching me over here, but just FYI there. So, anyways, but yeah, that was gonna be my question for you. Like how how therapeutic was writing that out, like reliving it, like how did that change you? Because you'd certainly been through a lot, right? And you the book tells like all the lessons you learned and how much you, I'll say evolved because I don't know that matured is the right word or not, but you certainly changed in a big way through your experience. Um, but writing it, writing the memoir, like how therapeutic was it? Like how much did that change you even more so? It's one of the most therapeutic things I've ever done, hands down. It was, there was, there's so many layers involved in this. I committed myself to writing seven days a week, two hours every single day. So you break that down and that is showing up at the keyboard, whether or not I wanted to, uh, it didn't matter. I had to sit down and do that. And what that did was built massive levels of self-trust because I kept my word to myself every single day. I showed up and I did the work. So that was just building that self-trust. Then to you know, put myself back into those situations to really feel it, but to be able to feel it in the safety of my own home. Uh, when I was writing, I now live in Connecticut, but when I was writing, I lived in Brooklyn and I had um, big uh, sliding doors out onto my balcony in front of me. So I just would stare outside and I could relive going to prison, my first day of prison and feel it, but I'm looking outside at nature. I'm looking at the tree, I'm looking at the birds going by, and there's something very 
important about that. And I think it, it ties in, and I don't want to talk out of school here whatsoever, but I know the use of MDMA for um, post-PTSD. Uh, Part of that is it kind of shuts off the receptors. You can relive your experience. You can talk about your experience without it hitting those receptors in your body. And that's what I kind of felt like when I was doing what I was doing. I was exploring everything, but in a very safe place. And so to be able to do that, and you know, there were, my book is about 52,000 words. I wrote about a million to get to those 52,000. So all of that was different articulations and trying to really figure out and crystallize my thoughts into a way that really told the story accurately and reflected how I was really feeling. So all of that, just getting a million words out of me to narrow it down to those 52,000, that was, um, it was like a purge. And so that was very therapeutic. I mean, there are so many layers to it. Uh, you and I have spoken offline about the power of writing and about the power of journaling. You know, I think there's just, there's so much there to unpack and so much value for anybody who's going through something to grab pen and paper. Or, you know, I like, I, for journaling, I like pen and paper. For writing, writing, I prefer typing. But just to, to be alone with your thoughts and get them out is nothing short of extraordinary. Yeah. Do you, I, I guess real quick, tactically, have you done like dictation at all? Like, do you, have you sat there and maybe like talk to the laptop or phone and just kind of get your thoughts raw out and then go back and like edit it? Or are you just pure, like straight to the keyboard? I have tried that. Um, and oftentimes I'll do that if I have a, a thought when I'm at the supermarket or something like that. And I go to the car and I want to capture the thought, I'll use uh, the dictation. But it, it doesn't work the same for me. It didn't have quite the same effect. I prefer really sitting down and just letting my fingers do the work because there's something, when I hit that flow state, when I hit that real stride, you know, I'll get a little ethereal here, but it's, I'm just a vessel for something. It's just coming through me. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful place to be. And I don't get that with the, with the dictation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The, um, I, I've been, uh, I'm wrapping up, I've been reading, um, the body keeps the score. Um, and it's a lot about like trauma and how it manifests itself physically. And, and, you know, it's been a really interesting read and I'll get into why I've been reading that here shortly, maybe, but, um, it was talking about journaling and, uh, and I started kind of, as far as like getting it out of you, as far as like processing, let's say anything. Uh, he, the author made a good point, uh, about journaling and write out two things, like write about what you're feeling and write out the facts, right? So like explicitly write about how you're feeling, like how you're feeling about the situation, why, whatever, and then write out the facts of the matter. And, and I thought that was interesting. And, and I kind of used that. And, and I told you before, you had inspired me to kind of take, take more initiative to do more to journaling. So I've been like an every other day, kind of like when I, cause I agree, I like, I want to be feeling it, you know? And so it's kind of like, I do it when I'm, I'm feeling it and I just want to brain dump. So, it, and it makes for a better product because it's not like journaling for the, to, to say I journaled, but like it piles up for a day or two and then boom, it, it, it piles out. But, but that, but I, I, I found it pretty fascinating and it's been very, um, relieving. Like it, it just, just dumps it out. Just 
get it out, get it out on paper. So a couple things there, Tim Ferriss calls journaling windshield wipers for the brain. So I think that's just a great way to, you know, really think about it is just, you know, it's clearing, it's clearing the crap so you can see a little bit clearly. And then I love that. It's actually funny behind me is that book you mentioned, the body keeps the scores right behind me. And you and I've talked about that before. And I think it's time that I've, I've heard about it countless times. So I think it's time that I start reading it. But that I love that feelings and facts. I do something for myself and with my clients called truth and story. And it's basically, you know, I'll give you an example from my own life. You know, for a long time when I was dealing with the shame of being arrested by the FBI and going to prison, I would say to myself, um, I'm, a, I'm a federally convicted felon. And because of that, I'm a terrible human being. And, you know, I would, I would really think that. And then all of a sudden, the beliefs start becoming truths. You start acting in alignment with that. And it becomes very quick. And one day, I just I wrote that sentence down while I was journaling. And writing it down, A, was very powerful, but I could see something very clear. And I wrote a, I drew a line between what's the truth and what's the story. I am a federally convicted felon. No ifs, ands, or buts. Google me. I blow up all over the place. <laughs> the, the story is because of that, I'm a terrible human being. That's a story I'm making up around a fact. And to be able to do that, we get so caught up in our stories. And I think that's what journaling allows us to do is when we do it over a consistent time period, whether it be waiting a couple of days for things to, to build up. But when you start writing, it gives you the ability to identify the stories and to call them out, to see the patterns where we get stuck the most, what lights us up the most. And when those start coming through, then those are areas to start diving into deeper. Yeah, the um, it is it is. I, I appreciate the the analogy in in that too, right? Like uh, the analogy of the windshield wipers for the brain, and um, because it is that, and it's uh, you know, I, I think you would see me post online about like like the, my day close routine, my week close routine, things to kind of like wipe the slate so I can like have the relief. And I think it's it's very it's just probably the same thing, right? Like I do that to relieve my subconscious of chewing on tomorrow. Like after I end my day, I, I have a good routine to kind of close it off so I can move forward into my evening. Otherwise, my brain sits, it sits there and it's trying to solve for tomorrow. And I think similarly, like journaling is getting it out of your head so it can stop chewing on it. Just get it out and, and clear and there it is. It's on paper now. It's not, it doesn't have to be in your head. I feel like you kind of like satisfy your subconscious that it's somewhere else, right? It's, it doesn't have to be here anymore. It's recorded. It's been captured, whatever. It's been recorded. It's been captured. What I like to say is I leave the crap on the page. And, you know, I know a lot of people go back and reread their journaling notes. I don't do that. I actually leave it. I, I mean, I literally am like, it is the crap and I'm leaving it there. I might be leaving some value on the table to be able to go back and see what I was thinking three years ago, but I'm okay with it because I really like, because of what you said, getting it out and leaving it there. Don't have to revisit. I don't have to ruminate. I don't have to do any of that. It's just out and done and moving on, which I think is such a powerful component of it. Yeah, and I wonder. I, I, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't want to go back and read it. I don't. I mean, it's it's there. It's gone. I mean, it's. I, I write in pen, and I just let it go. Mistakes and all. Like I just let it go. There's just, and I'm not. I'm not. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not writing it to go back and read it. I, I just 
so I'm with you there. It's like, I don't want to read it. It's just, it's, it's out of me. I don't know. It's silly, but it, it works. It's, I've heard two, two schools of thoughts, uh, leave it or go back and read it. So you can see what you were thinking. So you can, um, maybe find a solution to a problem that you're experiencing that you're like, Oh, you know what? I experienced this a couple of years ago. How did I handle it? You know? And then that's, so that could be a good repository, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't fall into that. And I'm also quite fortunate that my handwriting is so atrocious when I'm journaling that even if I wanted to, I couldn't go back and read it. I can't, I can't grab my journal from this morning and decipher what I said. But I, oh, this, so this actually, I think, is um, a, a kind of a good note on that. So if I do write something that I don't want to necessarily leave on the page, this is a little bit of a newer practice for me, I will fix my handwriting. Sometimes I'll write it in my crap handwriting, and I'll really, and it'll it'll hit me. It'll be like an epiphany, and so I'll say, "Ooh, that's good." So I'll write it so I can read it, and I put a star on it. And then, as I'm starting my day, part of my morning routine on my laptop is to um, transcribe it into just a running notes section, so that I can track some of the more important things. You know, if I have a really good idea for my business or something that I find just inspiring, or I put the put the you know dots together I connected a couple of dots for myself i just keep notes of that but the rest yeah. i leave yeah no i love that and I'll, I'll probably take that tactic because you know i carry around um my lion's guide little field journal and that's my always like capture all my thoughts and ideas and it's it's quote ideas content ideas idea ideas whatever like and i just like carry that around me and i i dump that stuff in there um Two reasons. Uh, it's in a physical notebook because I don't want to touch my stupid phone. So I, I want to like not have something that's going to like be in a spy, fly trap me like my stupid iPhone. But so I use that. Um, but uh, I noticed when I was journaling, like I would hit those things and I would have to stop and go grab my field journal and go, oh, yeah, that was a good idea. So, so that's, a, that's a good call. And I'll just... Uh, throw my journal like in my pile for end of day, because that's one of my end of day routines is like, go uh, move those things. Like the things I captured throughout the day, go ahead and put it, compartmentalize it wherever it can be captured later and then kind of scratch it off the list. Right. Cause the field journals, the intention is just to grab it right then and there. So I can put it away later, like put it where it needs to go, whether that's a to do or a calendar appointment or a, a note out to someone, what, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just my capture it is my idea trap. Um, so I just capture it there. And but yeah, I could probably just kind of know that I'm doing that and grab my journal at the end of the day and go, is there, is there anything in there that I need to transfer? Yeah. I, I love the I love the idea trap, because I think that really is also something that takes it off of the subconscious mind. So you're not chewing on it. You're not fearful of losing the brilliant idea, you know, the epiphany you had or something. You're like, oh, this is really good. I want to run with it. You're not worried about that. You're not, you know, ruminating on trying to you know, keep it stuck in your brain. You just get it out. You acknowledge it. You get it out and you can move on and you can focus your mental bandwidth elsewhere. And I want to um, thank you again for the evening routine of just closing the day. There's something really very powerful about that to to just make sure that all the the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted and just being done so that i can relax and enjoy and and hit the next day really really well um and i can't remember i can't remember if this was on your evening routine 
um, or it was and I just didn't implement it, but something I've been implementing recently is my top three priorities for tomorrow and really getting very clear. Uh, really, I focus on two, like two major initiatives that I want to work on. Three is, you know, kind of a, if I get the third one in, it's kind of a, a luxury, if you will, you know, but I put those in. And that way, I also know I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I wake up, I do my morning routine. I go to my calendar. What are today's priorities? Number one priority. And then what I've also been doing when I do that is um, I will say, you know, task accomplished. Yeah, done. How did it go? And I'll kind of do a very short review of, you know, it went really well. I felt great. I like capturing how I feel, you know, because I think that's important to kind of rewire the brain to get that dopamine feeling. Um, the, you know, I could have, and I'm not beating myself up, but like room for improvement here. You know, I kind of miss this. This needs a little more work, whatever it may be, but being very honest. Yeah. And just, you know, keeping track of it that way has been. Could, could have been, really, could have been better if dot, dot, dot type of. Oh, I like that. I'm going to start using. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like today, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my things today, that keynote I'm delivering next Tuesday, I was practicing it today. And, you know, the fact I'm going to be speaking for about 40, 45 minutes, right? And I'm in my house doing my, doing my practice run. It's a little rusty, but I started hitting my stride. You know, I was like, I was like, ooh, I was ad-libbing. It was going really well. And then I come to the end. I'm 10 minutes short. So my note on that was, I felt great. I know the content. I was 10 minutes short. Where did I miss? What did I not include? You know, doing just that, you know, reconnaissance on it, if you will. And that was just really, so I know for tomorrow what I need to do when I yeah. practice it again. I think that's something I, I promote a lot. It's just, I call that the like reflect and review, like reflect and review, like look back at your day, look back at your week. And I, I can't remember if I've done like my monthly routine in a training video yet, but uh, even in my month, like my month, um, I reflect and review like my weekly structure. Like I have a, I have a weekly, daily weekly structure. And part of my monthly routine is to just kind of go back and go, okay, looking ahead, like, is even my structure the way it needs to be? What could, I don't want to be redoing that every week. I do, I do look at how my like, uh, standard operating procedure game plan is going to fit into the week to come. Cause sometimes, you know, you got like a early appointment, so it's going to jack up your morning routine or something like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll make my exceptions each week in my week plan, but it, during my month routine, I'll sit down and go, okay how's my week plan like working out? Like, is there anything I need to do? Sometimes it's like, yeah, man, rock solid, nothing major coming up this month that's going to disrupt it. So keep it or yeah, maybe, maybe like I'm getting bored with like my workout routine or something and I need to mix that up or flop things around just to kind of shake things up a little bit or whatever. Um, but, it, but I think it's important in all things to kind of reflect and review. And even like, even for those folks that are still like in meetings all day, like, after a meeting, man, like a good transition point, is just reflect, go, Hey man, how'd that go? <laughs> like, you know, what, what could have been better? What could, how could you respond to better or whatever? Or, you know, it's just, it, it I, I, even between meeting, like we were talking about in the green room, like, uh, it, it is good to have a transition between almost everything because like when you run into the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, it just piles on you. And, you know, but if you could take, man, it doesn't take long, man, five minutes, like just take, take the five minutes and reflect, review, 
get ready for the next thing. Like it's a, it's a big energizer, you know, to get you through the day. Um, so I, I love that in between. I love the transition. I will go for a short walk, you know, just kind of you know, down the driveway of my condo complex, uh, you know, beautiful field. There's always geese and seagulls. Sometimes the, uh, now that the ospreys are back for the season, you know, catch a view of an osprey, just nice little grounding thing. Um, if there are dishes in the sink, great opportunity to do the dishes, just, you know, five to 15 minutes of something completely different than what I was doing and what I'm going to be doing. And I'd love to, I'd love to share something that I just, uh, got from somebody that I'm going to start implementing going forward. And this isn't mine. Literally, I just got this last week, but I really loved this. I had a call. I'm a member of a white collar support group and I had a call with one of our members and he was asking some questions about some stuff. And, you know, I gave him just my perspective on things. And I said, Hey, you know, we sent each other emails saying, Hey, thanks so much. It was great to connect. But his email was, here are the three takeaways I took from our conversation. Here's what I picked up on. And he broke them down so nicely. And it sounded like a, almost when I saw it, I go, why have I not been doing this my entire life? But I loved what he did. He did it for himself. It was a reflection back on me of, hey, I saw and heard you, which is something that we all love. It was just, it was a, it was a, it was, it was an acknowledgement. It was a beautiful practice and something that I look forward to using going forward. It's a great, uh, you know, that's one of the newer things I've been bringing forward with my own clients is, uh, you know, because it's important, like in relationships, it, whether they're professional or personal, or whatever. But I point out to him, and I, I might have picked it up in uh, in them. I, I might have picked it up in the uh, the book, um, "The Body Keeps the Score." But it talked about safe space and like people to regard a safe space. They want to feel heard and feel acknowledged, right? And to feel like they're in a safe space. So um, that's something that, that that I find myself talking a little bit more and more about. Just the importance of you know recognizing that that you've heard someone i love that practice too um i i used to do that a lot uh when i had a lot of meetings in, in corporate life uh like send the after email after email going hey thanks for the time this is what i heard right like you know th this is where we're at and this is what i'm doing this is what you're doing because it is because what's worse and right it, it was very intentional because what's worse than you follow up a week later and it's uh oh i didn't know i was supposed to do that right like it was like you gotta like I, to me. It was like put it in writing that we're on the same page, so that now they've got first right of refusal in a short order. So I don't have a surprise a week later when I'm following up and like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I thought you were doing that. And it's like, ooh, you know. And I because I I'm a I hate losing time. You know what I mean? And it's that's that stuff that you know a week goes by and you realize that there was a misunderstanding, right? And that that was a great like practice to to kind of reassure on that, but. Yeah, it's something I, I was I was really blown away by the way he articulated it. And I, you know, obviously I saved the email and I'm gonna go back when I use it just to his structure, his tone, everything was just it was it's something he's been doing for a long time. You could just yeah. tell. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I was I was very, I was very impressed. So you've been on this uh entrepreneurial journey, you know, with the book and the coaching and all that. It's like, so how much you know, I remember talking to you in your original podcast episode about your entrepreneurial mind mindset. But you know, how much how much of a challenge as truly being entre you know this entrepreneurial venture for you? Like, 
How much of a challenge has it been for you? It's been one of the most fulfilling challenges I've ever embarked on because it is an absolute challenge. It is, my girlfriend would always say to me, she's like, you work seven days a week. And it doesn't dawn on me because I actually do enjoy what I do. It's not lip service. I do enjoy you know, what it is that I do. So I don't mind putting a couple hours in on the, on the weekends. It just makes me feel good. But it is so challenging because so many things in a sense that I've never done before. And it's just the learning curve. And obviously, other people have done it so that you can model yourself after other people. And I think there's, there's great value in that. But there's also finding your own voice is, I think, one of the most important things. You know, I can see the outline of something that somebody did, but to find my own voice within that space is critical. And that takes time. And that takes time. That takes experimentation. That takes the willingness to throw yourself out there, to throw content to the wind and see how it's received. <laughs> and just, you know, it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge learning curve. And I think, and I bet you we're going to go here, but one of, you know, one of the biggest lessons for me has been truly actually understanding the 80-20 rule. I can always, you know, I had um, an intellectual understanding of it. And I think there's a huge difference between an emotional understanding and an intellectual understanding. And I'm and like, really what's clicking. an example of of that where it's kind of so I'll I'll give um I'll give a personal example. Well, I can give I'll give a personal example of like the knowing and embodying. Um, so for me, it was when I was rebuilding my life after prison. I had no self trust. I understood the importance of self trust. And I intellectually understood that to me, self-trust is a precursor to confidence and something that I think trumps confidence. Confidence flows from self-trust. And so I intellectually knew all that, but it wasn't until one day where I acted in a way that was the embodiment of self-trust, where it just was a state of being. And that I think is the difference between intellectual and emotional is there's no longer thinking about it, you are it. And so understanding the 80-20 in business, I got the principle of it. Well, truth be told, when I first heard the 80-20 rule years ago, I didn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it for some weird reason. But then I got the intellectual understanding of it. And now recently in my business, because I've been doing this for a few years, is it just clicked. I get it. Where have I been wasting my time? Where have I been doing busy work? What produces the most results? And now going back to what I was saying, those top three priorities, those tie to those activities that are going to move the needle the most. And you know, I can throughout the day be like, oh, it'd be fun if I did this. It'd be fun if I did that. Does it serve my actual goals? Is it going to move the needle forward? No, it's a a nice to have, it's an ancillary that won't add much value to my business. So just getting very crystal clear on what moves the needle. Yep. I think that comes in time. You know, I think yeah. some of that understanding comes, comes with time and doing it and consistency. Have you read um, The One Thing? No, I've heard of it, but I have not yeah. read it. It's, it's a really good book on that very thing. It's like, uh, yeah, really keeping the main thing, the main thing. And it, and it says like, you know, it talks about, 
just that. I mean, I think you you articulated it well, and it's a, just a deeper dive into that very concept, which is like have have your goals. Period. Like, and that's it. Like, focus on the one thing, and you may have like one thing in different areas of your life, right? Like career or current major project or family or whatever, right? Not to say that there's it's it's all about my project to hell with the family and all everything else right like it's it's it, but it, you know so it goes so far to point that out but i i thought it was a really good book um and it, i guess i would say to your point i i i acknowledge that and that book really helped me bring that idea home as well because you can you know be a dog chasing squirrels on everything and the, and you're just a dog chasing squirrel 7 days a week and you're still hungry because you, you didn't catch any squirrels because they're all still running around you and laughing at you so to speak but um so it was good and it and, and it did uh really kind of help you know instill even further that idea like know what your goals are accomplish that one thing and then move on to the next thing you know and just and you're right and that way you can stay focused and, and kind of like even like you said your activities you can um it, this was a conversation i was i was talking to a group of business leaders this week and said you know this is where clarity comes in like what is the cl- what is your current goal know what that is very clearly and that can be your litmus test for all things right does this fit my current goal yes or no like it can just be that simple you know if you, so if you have a clarity of what your your one thing is right now your one major project your one goal whatever it whatever it is you know you can really use it as a great screen you know to put put the trash aside not, not that it's trash but maybe the not, even maybe the trash but but maybe also those things are just not the right fit not the right time or whatever the case may be clarity is just a superpower <laughs> it gets rid of all the extraneous bs when you just get super crystal clear and something that i do is i reread my goals every single morning i have really before so after my after my morning routine, when the laptop gets opened, the first thing I do is open up a document that says "Do this every day," <laughs> and I and I read and I read everything on there. And part of that is my goals. What are my goals for my coaching business? What are my goals for my book? What are my goals for my speaking business? You know, those are three major initiatives. What are my goals for that? And I have them. Um, right, I do ninety day increments. So what are my what are my targets? from you know 90 days from now and so everything to your point what you were just saying is this going to serve that 90 day goal no out the window you know and maybe maybe if i think it's a good idea and i have some free time you know when when my mental bandwidth is a little low and it's not going to really you know hurt me to put together whatever the idea may be maybe i'll revisit it but not in not at the cost of my top three priorities for the day. Yeah. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you, and in doing so, find your joy again. 
If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguy.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guy community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. Have you heard of Traction? No. Traction? So I learned traction. so much from you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's the book pharmacist coming out of me. The uh, so traction, uh, Gino Wickman. Uh, it's a really great book uh, for organizations um, to. It's a great framework to like build a successful organization, and it. I think it applies in any uh, phase. Um, you know, I came across it, you know, ten plus years in business, but it was at a time where we had to kind of like uh, clean up the rat's nest of the business that is a business after, you know, 12 plus years or whatever it was at the time when I came across it. But, you know, um, it, it helps you bring across a lot of clarity. But one of its practices amongst the many that it has in it is um, having quarterly rocks, right? I mean, it goes back to that, you know, uh, you know, that video you'll see online where the dude's putting the rocks in the jar and like, is this for or whatever. Um, but, you know, it, it, it calls for you to every 90 days, like you say, like identify the big rocks, like what are the things that are really going to move things forward? And those are your focuses. And it has you put the, take everything else and just maintain it on a list that in 90 days when those rocks are all behind you, like this quarter's rocks, you go back to that list and maybe there's new things to put on the list or whatever, but maybe now's the time to bring some of those back up to be rocks. Right. So it was, so like, you know, to, to, to acknowledge what you're saying, like it's, it's a, it's a big, uh, I mean, it's how progress happens, right. You're not going to get 20 things done, 20 impactful things done in one sitting, right. Like you gotta, you know, what do they say, eat the, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. No, I love that. I love the, that you said impactful. And it makes me think of uh, a Marcus Aurelius quote. Part of it, of the quote says, do less better. And I think that speaks volumes. Uh, You know, it's, I think, you know, at the beginning of my business, I was chasing squirrels. Like you said, I was chasing squirrels and I was working more hours and feeling less fulfilled, getting less done you know, adopting this new system, I now put a cap on how many hours I work a day. I put a cap on it. If I've hit my top priorities, I'm good to go. And I'm going to spend the afternoon going to the, going to the gym, uh, taking the bike out for a ride, um, going to the beach and reading. You know, it's because I think that is that actually is where I almost do the most work. Because when I get that, you know, CEO time and that break time, that's when the ideas percolate. That's when things really come to the surface. I think there, I think there's so much importance to. If you're always chasing, 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 there's no opportunity for anything to come. So to to sit back and allow things to come, I think is really important. Yeah. The going if you could go back in time, you know, to a couple of years from now, before you started on your current coaching venture and whatever, like, what advice would you give yourself? You know. 
three years ago from what you've learned now? The simplest terms, and I'll break this down, would just be kind of what we were talking about. But I would say avoid the bullshit. <laughs> you know, it would just be avoid the things that you think are important. Avoid, avoid the noise. Avoid people that say, you know, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. This is how the algorithm works. And you've got to work with the algorithm. And you've got to do this. You're, you know, it's instead of following all the shoulds and expectations of others, it goes back to find your own voice faster. Because I think that's what stands out. There are so many, so many coaches out there. There is so much content being produced. It is next to impossible to stand out. But one of the ways that I believe you stand out is by being who you are and whatever shape or form that is. Because there, content today is so homogenized because there is a, you know, if somebody's writing copy, there's a formula, numerous formulas for writing copy. That's why so much material sounds the same because it's following a formula. And that is, you know, and honestly, I tried, you know, learning how to write copy. I hate writing copy. As a writer, I hate writing copy. It's, I think, one of the lowest forms of writing. I know there's a lot of value to it. I know people make a ton of money on it. Not for me. And I'd rather walk my walk because that's how I, tr that's how I work with my clients is by actually showing up the way that I do. And I invite them to show up the way that they want to show up. So I think that's, that was a long way of answering that quite. I started going off the rails a little bit, but I hope that answered the, the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope you don't mind being an author with a book to sell that I'm dropping other books. But uh, Rob uh, Napoli, uh, who he was a podcast guest, he wrote he wrote a book called uh, The Social Soul. And it's, that's all it's about, man. It's just, just go be you. Like that, that's what... That's what the interwebs are screaming to hear, you know, is just the real authentic you. And uh, so that's a great little short read. And, and, and so if you're looking for some affirmation, that would be a good one for you too. Just, you know, it's called The Social Soul, Rob Napoli. Uh, he was on the podcast not too long ago. But um, yeah, I think that that's awesome. What are, uh, so with regard to your clients and how you're serving people today, like, symptomatically right like what are what are some of the more common symptoms that you're helping your clients solve for does that make sense kind of like what are you hearing from your clients when you know they're contacting you or they're figuring out if they need your help or whatever does that make sense to yes absolutely and if you don't mind i'd love to just circle back as an author i love that you're plugging other books please continue to do that uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, hundred so, percent. Absolutely, I feel the same way. That's, that's why. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little plug, bit unapologetically about it because, like, yeah. if you guys are out there listening, probably like you and I, like, we're we're piling them up anyway. You know, so more than yeah, ab absolutely. So I love I love that you do that, and I love that I'm going to check out Rob's book actually, and I'll check out his episode with you as well. So thank you for that. But to to your point, to your question, if I could sum it up really quickly, is a success-sized hole in the middle of their life. So they have the good job. They've got the right house in the right neighborhood, driving the right car. They've done all the right things, but they have a success-sized hole in the middle of their being because their work does not supply them 
with any joy, meaning, or fulfillment. So that would be that's that would be the primary thing that I solve for is connecting with that sense of joy, that sense of purpose, that meaning, and that fulfillment. Because all the nice things in the world are not going to fill that. No, nothing external will ever fill us internally. Will never happen. So what are they saying? Like, what are they, what are they feeling? What are, what are they saying, you know, with regard to that situation? Lost, directionless, unfulfilled, no meaning. Um, a rudderless boat <laughs> is actually something I've, I've heard um, from somebody. Just the lack of clarity and also a little bit of frustration because I've done all the things that I was told that I was supposed to do. I climbed this mountain. I worked so hard and I climbed this mountain. I kicked my ass to get to the top of this mountain and all the things that I was promised would be there are not there. What the, what the F, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, I don't get it. And so there's just really that little betrayal, little frustration, that lost feeling, um, you know, just, just that gnawing emptiness. And coupled with that is, you know, I, I, I always thought there was more for me out there and I don't know what that more is. What's the, what's the root cause, right? Like, because I feel like, you know, you're saying, and I think I, I know the rest of that story is they feel all these things despite the nice house, the nice car, the pretty wife and right. Like they, all that's still there, right? Like we're not talking down and out folks, right? We're talking all those negative feelings that you listed despite nice car, nice house, 401k is fat, whatever, all the, all the things, right? Like all the things are, all the boxes are checked, but here we are. Like, you know, what's, what's the, what's the root cause you think? Like what, what, what's the point they missed in the decade or two before they threw the flag up going, what's going on? So I would say generally they followed somebody else's blueprint. They followed somebody else's blueprint and now they're living in somebody else's house. Mm. And they wonder why they don't feel comfortable. <laughs> why they don't like the drapes. Like, ah. Why they don't like the drapes. Why they don't like the couch. Why they, why they think it's silly that the master bedroom's on the first floor. You know, I mean, like, yeah. you know, all of those things. And that is the shoulds and expectations of society, of friends and family. You are supposed to get the good grades, go to the good school get the job at the corporate place, move your way up the corporate ladder and do all these things. And it's following somebody else's blueprint. And like I said, you end up, if you follow somebody else's blueprint, you're ending up in a house that's not yours. Only the house is your life. <laughs> and that's, that's where that, that Victor Frankl called it the existential vacuum. You know, that's that success size hole in the middle of your, of your being because you just haven't done work that's meaningful to you. I like how you use the the word should, right? It's it's other people's shoulds. Like you should do this. You this is what you should be doing with your life. This is what what should be happening. This is what you should own. This is what you should have. And those shoulds, um, I think, carry a lot of unacknowledged baggage. You know, um, 
I guess I guess those people out there with money will probably relate to what I'm about to say. I've been asked like, hey man, like as I live in an area, it's a ton of water around here, right? And I got asked people ask me like, hey man, why don't you why don't you have a house on water? Like, why don't you have that million dollar house on water? And I go, you want to know why? Here's the reason why. Because I don't want to spend thirty thousand dollars a year in property taxes, because that's what they don't tell you, right? Like, and, and, and I know that's kind of stupid in a way, but it's also like a part of like what I'm trying to say is like having these things means there's more things that you have to deal with, right? Like um, people who are boat owners out there know this all too well, right? That owning a boat means you own the boat and all the expenses that come along with it that you don't know about or hear about until you've got it and you're living it. But you know, is, does that make sense? Like it's, 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 it's the... I don't, I want to, maintenance, it's the, it's, I don't know, baggage is the only word I've got for you right now, but there's, there's just like so much additional baggage beyond the appeal, right, of it, of what you've got, what you bought, so, right? Like, so what's coming up for me, and I, I'm curious if this lands as, um, I mean, the hidden cost, what's the hidden cost of it? And I think what's important about that, I love the fact that you use baggage. I can't wait to go back and listen to this episode because I'm going to pull out some of these things, especially what you just said about um, unintended baggage. Was I, was that what you said? But um, the the hidden cost, the hidden cost is not only the thirty thousand in property taxes, but it's also you know it could be the maintenance, living on the water, living on the salt water, damages your cars, damages your house, damages all your patio furniture. You know, but and that's like we could definitely go down you know a rabbit hole on that. But it's the hidden costs that we don't think about, but it's also the emotional hidden costs. What does that now mean? So let's say financially, all of a sudden, the 30 extra thousand dollars a year is a stress. And now you've got to, now you've got to stay at that job that doesn't provide you meaning or fulfillment because you have to maintain that 30,000. You've got to maintain your patio furniture that's getting ruined every couple of years because you live on the solar. It's all those hidden costs, but that feeling that you now have to stay at the job, I call that, and this is part of my, my, what I'm working on for the second book, is the golden treadmill. You know, We get on that golden treadmill and we have to keep running. And we think that we're going to cross the finish line but we don't realize that we're literally running on a treadmill trying to catch the horizon. It's an impossibility. The goalpost is always moving back. And that to me is one of the most powerful hidden costs behind those shoulds and those expectations of others. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I love that. It's, it's, you reminded me like the reason, the thing that I've come to learn about all that, right. The shoulds, right. Because I don't know, I still see it today, you know, with, and, and, and yeah, I don't know if you and I have talked about this before or not, but it's like, look, man, if you're passionate about cars, like, you know, and you, and you're really passionate and that's a goal of yours and that that's meaningful to you, then go get it, man. Like, the, I think it's the intentionality part versus the shoulds, right? And the, the, I'm a, I'm in finance, so I should have the you know, million dollar home, right? I, I should have the Land Rover. I should have these things, right? Like, so um, it's, 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 it's the awareness to that. And I think the point I was hitting with like those, this, those decision points, right? Cause I've had them many times, like my decision points are like, 
do I sell this house that I bought fresh out of the Marine Corps, which I still live in today, right? Like, and I the 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 thing I've come to learn to challenge my thinking in that is a very simple question that I used in business, but I use in my personal life as well, which is this: What am I solving for? Right? Like, move from this house, like what am I solving for? What's broken, right? Like what, I mean, is it not big enough? Like, is it not right? Like what, what am I solving for? And when I hit those moments where it's like, should I go upgrade or whatever? There should, right? There's, there's, there's the word. Like it came down to like truly having the discipline to go, well, what am I solving for? And why I still live in the same house for the last 20 years, that's perfectly modest because I'm not solving for anything going anywhere else, right? Like, I really not. And I think that's why I've, I've, I, and I, I'm thankful. I am grateful to have kind of hit that awareness because I love what you just said is that you pile this stuff up and it's just, yeah, you're chasing, man. And, and you're what you're talking about. And I've come to learn like it's not about financial freedom, it's about personal freedom, right? Like it's, that, that personal sovereignty to be able to, like you said, if you're in a crappy job, being able to leave it if you wanted to, you know, if, if you came to that point, right? Like, cause now you're solving for that. But if you're, you know, strung up, you know, financially and you, you need that paycheck and, you know, or, you know, how many times have you heard this? I, I really am not passionate about what I'm doing, but I can't afford to do, be a new guy in something else. Right. I've, I've heard that a whole lot with with clients like realizing that they're they're not um they're not chasing their passion but they can't pivot because they've got all this expense they've got this big salary and they know to go pivot and do what they've now learned that they want to do they can't afford to do it right because they they know i've heard the word i can't take a pay cut that that's slavery man it's absolutely a form of it hands down I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I love that you, you said, circling back a little bit to what you said about the intentionality and using cars was a great example. You and I have spoken. I have a passion for cars and, you know, I, I, I will own many <laughs> over my, the course of my life uh, because it truly lights me up. Um, I l- was l- literally at a caffeine and carburetors on Sunday morning looking at just some brilliant automobiles. I can't wait to have one to bring of my own to that show, to talk to other people, to dive into engines, to restore a car, to learn how to race. It's a passion. And that's important is the intentionality. Your question is brilliant. What am I solving for? And to be able to just step back from that takes, I mean, that's got to take on your part. I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about like the awareness that you have to exercise in that moment to be able to to answer that and to not get pulled because i could see the ego coming into that very easily and influencing and adding that should to the equation so i'm curious how how you manage that with a difficult decision how the awareness comes into play and how you answer that question for yourself honestly um well I've learned a lot, especially over the last few years, like what ego is and what it looks like. So I've been fortunate, uh, especially to hit a certain level in business where there was just, I was surrounded by a lot of ego to, you know, right? Like I've got kids, right? And sometimes I'll see my kids do something 
and I'll go, oh, I know where they got that from. I've done that or I've said that or you know what I mean? And, and go, I don't, man, I don't like that. Right. And so I think for me, what I've learned about ego is I, I hit a point where I got surrounded by so much of it. I recognized what I didn't want, right? Like, you know, there's setting examples, the most powerful form of influence, right? Good and bad. And when I hit this point where I found myself surrounded by a lot of ego, I said, wow, I know what I don't want to be. You know, I know, you know, more about myself on reflection of others. And, and I think it's a little bit of that. I think that's, that's certainly where, cause don't get me wrong, man, I bought shit, you know, to say I had it right. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not up here, uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to toss stones from my glass house, man. I I've done, I've made these mistakes. Right. And, um, and I've had to go back and clean up for them. Right. Um, and just say like, yeah, I bought that to say I had it. And, now all it's doing is costing me money and, and I, I, sh- I need to swallow my pride and ego and just go sell the thing, right? Like, you know, I bought it for, to, to kind of stroke my ego when someone asked me or what, you know what I mean? Like, and so, um, and man, and I'll tell you, like <laughs> those shows like on Netflix, like the minimalist and all that stuff, like the less, less is more, man, like less is more like having less to worry about and, and you used the word maintain, Right less to worry about and maintain. Like, it's just, it's refreshing, you know? Um, it's, it's so, I, I don't know. I've just come to enjoy that, like that aspect of it. What comes up for me on that is it circles right back to the clarity is you're very clear on what's important to you. So you can steer your decision to be in alignment with what's important to you. And that it sounds like peace and equanimity is important to you. So acquiring something new that's going to require maintenance, it's going to require whatever, whether it be financial or just physical, you know, labor of keeping something, uh, you know, up, just isn't worth it. It just isn't worth it. Yeah, it's a, it's a form of distraction. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I have a whole lot more on that other than it's just I, I just hit a point of awareness that the shoulds like I, I, I'm just not playing that game anymore. I'm just not. I'm, I, I mean, it's been nice to have less to worry about, you know, and 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 because right, there's there's only so much capacity we can give our energy to, right? Like, you know, and and it's just there's just more energy takers that you have to maintain or whatever, and. um you know, that's, that's just, that's just, I don't know. And, and look, that's, I'm not saying it's right. It's just me. It's just work, what works for me. Right. Like I'm lion's guide for a reason. Like I'm here to talk about things and guide people to their own truths. That's my truth at this point. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've come to be really intentional and, and, uh, value my time. And, and I just find like less is more at this point, you know, I want to, I want to focus on my kids and, and giving them good experiences so they can grow and you know, like a uh, big conversation in our house, like around these things right now is like, you know, really about preparing the kids for the road, man. Like, you know, um, and what kind of example are we setting when we're just chasing crap to say we have it, you know, or, you know, um, and it's unfortunate. I see it everywhere. So, um, I, I see it everywhere. It's like, ego, like <laughs> I even feel, and I'll, I'll say this and, Maybe some feel, people's feelings are going to get hurt, but I feel like some people like have the, their kids' private school stickers on their car, right? Yep. Like, yep. 
that's more about the ego, right? Like to say my kid goes to school or my kid plays for this ball club or my, like, you know, is, is there intention there maybe, or is, is it equal parts to the part where you've had to flare it for all to see, or I don't know. Like I, I just, the, the cynic in me goes like, how much of that is the parent's ego? Um, I don't know, you know, how much of, of having that label, that name brand is less about the label and more about your ego. Like, I don't know. So it's just, again, just a point in my life that I've hit that just kind of, I see it. Yeah. I see it better. Isn't that so funny that labels and, you know, brands can take so many different forms, including a private school, including a country club, you know, I mean, mean, country clubs, another good one, right? Like country clubs, another great one, you know, it's, um, whatever other kind of social clubs, you know, you've got all sorts of things out there and yeah is that i'm i'm i think it's really important that you said this is what works for you you found what works for you and that's what i think is for everybody is to find what works for them and i've got no problem of the multi-million dollar house on the water and the lamborghini in the driveway and the panerai watch on the wrist i have no problem with any of those things only when you th- if you think that they're going to make you happy and your identity is interwoven with them. But if there's intentionality behind it, go for it if that's what works for you. And that's what I think is so important. And that's where that meaning and fulfillment comes in, is not following those shoulds and expectations, is doing what works for you. And whatever shape or form that looks like, doing it. And, you know, making sure that it's, it's um, not, you know, taking away from your family. You know, you mentioned earlier, like you could have the kick-ass career, but if you're ignoring your family, then that's not really good. And that's that, that's that balance. That's that looking at all aspects of your life and making sure that they're all firing. You know, let's call it like a 12-cylinder Ferrari engine. You want all cylinders firing. Because if one of them's not, that motor is going to be, it's going to be for crap. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, like, yeah, like the country club example, like I've got a friend that loves golf was, was semi-pro and he lives to be on the greens, you know? Yeah. Like you should have whatever country, like, cause it's your passion, right? It's, it's, it's the, you know, everything else is a means to that end, right? Like he works so he can golf, you know, like he, his, his, his ideal personal freedom is to go golf whenever he wants. Right. And I think that's as opposed to, the folks that have the country club membership to have their name on that roster to say they're a member, but never go and not even like golf really, you know, like that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like I'm just, I'm just calling that out. And and some, some folks are are there and, and because they're, they're living by other people's shoulds and those shoulds have compiled. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're seven degrees separated from someone's original should you know, that, oh, you should be a member of this club and he's a member, then he's a member, then she's a member and she's a member and you're seven degrees separated, you know, from any real like, <laughs> like passion it's, to be there. I don't know. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I agree 100%. Your friend who golfs, that's important because quite frankly, the public course is not going to be, you know, when you're that good, the public course, chances are, is not going to be as good as the, the country club. You know, I mean, it's not going to have quite the same services. There are a lot of great public courses out there. I'm not slamming the public courses, but, you know, it's just connecting with that. If you just think it's something that, you know, I now make X amount of dollars a year. So I have to buy this car. I have to send my kid to this school. I have to join this club. 
I've got to shop at this store, and I've got to eat at this restaurant. You know, all of those things are just that baggage that keeps somebody on that golden treadmill and, you know, just sprinting, going nowhere. Right. And then they they, they land on uh, your website going, I have this big gaping hole, success size hole, as you said. (laughs) Well, so it's it's funny. I mean, I I hope they land there. The but, you know, the golden treadmill, as I've been writing the book and, and, you know, I coined that term, I think, like in January or so, and it landed with a lot of people. And I realized I was onto something because they were like, wow. And so I think it's, you know, when they land on my website, there's an important thing here because I think what the way I see it, and curious to see what you think, but like with this, with this chasing, with this following the shoulds and expectations. So my premise is with the golden treadmill, there are only three options when it comes to the golden treadmill. You keep running until you die and you die with regrets. You just keep following those shoulds. You keep doubling down on all the things that you think are going to make you happy. You uh, buy a more expensive watch, a more expensive car. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger until you die and you kind of realize at your last days that I didn't live a life true to myself. You you are in alignment with uh, Bronnie Ware, the top regrets of the dying is, you know, I'm, I'm, I regret that I didn't li- live a life um, in alignment with who I really am and what yeah, I really want. Yeah, yeah. So that's option, num- option number one. Option number two is you get so caught up in those things, trying to chase that hedonistic feeling and that trying to pursue that happiness and that sense of power. You get so caught up and it brings you down to many different levels. And basically what happens is life knocks you off the treadmill. You get a divorce because you had an affair. Drugs may enter the picture because you realize you're not cultivating any of that you know, happiness or meaning and you want to feel something, you want to numb. So now drugs or alcohol enter the picture. Me, it was a prison sentence. Life knocked me off the treadmill because of the choices I made. Then number three is the people who come to my website. And maybe they came because they got number two and they got knocked off. But number three is back to that word we were just using, the awareness. Having the awareness that what you're doing is not the life that you want to live and making a conscious, deliberate decision to slow the treadmill down and to get off of it and take a different path. And that, to me, is the hardest of the options. But the most courageous. But the most courageous, the most rewarding, the most fulfilling, the one with the most meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, Lion's Guide hashtag courage, man. Like I tell people all the time, courage is a virtue. It's overcoming the fear to do the right thing. Right. So to your choice, number three, like, you know, it's the right thing to do. Can you swallow the, the pride? Can you put your ego aside? Can you have the courage to answer to those other folks still playing that game? You know, when you hear the judgment, the the whys, the criticisms, the 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 haves and fake truths, you know, do you have the courage to stand up to that? You should because courage is a virtue because it is the right thing to do, right? Uh, and I really, do you have a name, title, theme for the new book at this point yet? No, I, God, I hope I'm a much better writer than I am a title creator. I suck at creating titles. <laughs> I don't have, <laughs> I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything yet, but I'm, 
you know, it, it's it's going to be very centered on it's going to be very centered on we we've been conditioned to chase pleasure and power. You know, pleasure are the all the materialistic things. Power is that money and that status and that corporate ladder. But really, we have, as Viktor Frankl said, we have a will to meaning. We want our experiences and in turn our life to mean something. That's the driving. That's our that's our true internal pull that we that we avoid. So that's that's where the premise of the book is going to be, and the title of it I don't know, but it's definitely going to be around that meaning. It's, it might have the word path in it. I don't know. The, gold, the golden treadmill. The path of the golden treadmill. The, yeah. <laughs> we'll brainstorm. We'll brainstorm. Yeah, I'll yeah, put that yeah. on my list. Yeah. So a big, big pile against the wall. One of the things, uh, just I want to take the opportunity for you to kind of put out uh, that I thought was a lot of, tr- of tremendous value from uh, Blank Canvas um, was the talk to me about spotlighting and what that means and and what that does for you, what you learn from it, what it what it does for folks. So spotlighting is an exercise that I created while I was journaling. And while I was journaling one day, the the voice of doubt just started creeping in, which is I was journaling about things that lit me up and things that I wanted to to create in my life. This was before I had started my business. I was still working at a gym, making $12 an hour behind the front desk. And here I am having these audacious goals of creating something meaningful in in my life. And that voice of doubt was just thundering down upon me, just saying, who are you? You can't do this. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You're a federally convicted felon. Just raining crap and vitriol all over me. And instinctually, something told me that I needed to capture all of this. And the instinct also said, I need to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spotlight it. And so I, I wrote the word spotlight and I captured all that vitriol, all that self-doubt, all that self-hate. I captured it in real time. And as I was doing it, I actually remember saying to myself, am I, am I adding fuel to the fire by actually writing this? And the same instinct that told me to do the exercise in the first place said, no, see it all the way to the end. And when I finished writing all the terrible negative things, there was only one word that came to me and it was just, why? Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence for all of these terrible things that this voice is saying? And I couldn't find any. I could not find any. And I realized when I did that once that I was onto something and it became a huge part of my journaling practice. So when that voice of doubt kicks in, and I journal so much and the voice of doubt comes up enough that I actually use the um, acronym VOD. I don't even want to write voice of doubt anymore, so I'll write VOD. And, and I write, and I'll, I'll, turn the, I'll turn my journal to the margins, anywhere there's free space, and write spotlight, I capture it in real time. And I think there is something so powerful to that, because if that voice that can keep us you know, trapped in our status quo, trapped in that autopilot, trapped in our comfort zone. It it wants to be heard. It sometimes doesn't shut up. Okay, well, I'm going to shine a light on you, and I'm going to shine it as bright as I possibly can. I'm going to write it down, and you're not going to escape. And it hates when you do that because it has no evidence. It can't back it up. And it's it's 
such a powerful exercise. And I love that you brought it up. And it's something I've heard from a lot of people who have said that like, that has really been a game changer for me. Yeah. No, I love it. And I, I wanted to make sure to get, let, let you put that out there. Cause I think it's, it's just a, another means of clarity, like just challenge of your way of thinking, you know? So I, I really, you know, that was one of my big highlights from your book as well. So, uh, so good, my man. Well, I want to work on getting you out of here. I know you're getting prepped for a speaking engagement tonight. So uh, I'm going to give you some runway to get prepped for that, man. And as always, man, I always love chopping it up with you. Podcast or no podcast, man. Uh, I always get a lot, lot, lot out talking to you, Craig. So I appreciate you coming on once again. I get so much talking to you as well, Dale. I love our conversations um, offline and online. I can't wait for this to, to be released because I want to go back and listen to it and pull out some of the nuggets that you've said um, and just really, in a sense, circling back to what we were talking about, I'm actually going to do that email technique where I'm to pull my key takeaways from it, from you know what you said, what I said, and just be able to really formalize that so you get a further alchemization of what we talked about. So thank you as always for having this platform and for having me on. I really do genuinely appreciate it. Yeah, man. No, uh, anytime. And, and before we jump, tell people where they can find you, best way to reach you, so on. Website, craigstanland.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Craig Stanland. Instagram, Craig underscore Stanland. And Blank Canvas, How I Reinvented My Life After Prison is available on Amazon. And if you're also interested, my TEDx, you can just Google Craig Stanland TEDx and it will come up. Yeah, man. I love it. Good to go, my friend. Well, I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Dale. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you.